thing. Well, this is the fourth and final part of our series, and uh, we've been studying Jesus' parable of the sower, which is what most theologians call it. In ancient times, animals were often housed under the same roof as the people who used them to make a living, so a dirt floor was the only practical option, and for most of them, the only possible option. They had no money, just a few meager possessions. So only wealthy people, only rich people could afford something other than dirt for their floors. And so over the years, across many cultures, many languages, there arose this familiar expression, and in English we say, they are dirt poor. But we haven't been talking about people's floors or their income levels We've been talking about their hearts. We've been talking from Jesus' parable, and he spake many things unto them in parables, and here it is, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And then Jesus adds this, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, this is a very important message I'm giving to you. Our question for this series has been, what kind of soil is in your heart? Because Jesus' first parable in that last year of his public ministry reveals that most people, at least three-quarters of them according to this, they are dirt poor. The soil of their heart simply will not sustain spiritual growth. And the reason is because they never allow the word of God to take root. The sower doesn't change, the seed doesn't change, but the prophet Jeremiah told us our heart is deceitful and wicked and it's fickle. And so a heart can lead you to appear one way on the surface of your life, but underneath, the heart is a totally different reality. And that's why Jesus teaches us that the human heart, like the soil of a field, it can be hardened or it can be shallow, it can be strangled, or it can be fruitful. We told you last week, in summary, it's not about the weather. Some people like to blame their response to God's word on their circumstances, but the weather was the same for every kind of soil in the farmer's field. There is somebody in this city in far worse circumstances than you or I, and they have obeyed the scriptures because their heart was open to it. If they can do it, you and I can do it. It's not about the weather. It's also not about the sower. The sower is the Holy Spirit who through the preaching and teaching and the witnessing of his anointed vessels, he sows the seed in our hearts. And God uses all kinds of different people to share his word, but at the end of the day, there's only one sower, and the Holy Spirit uses only one source of seed. And speaking of seed, it's not about the seed. You can't blame that because Luke tells us emphatically that the seed is the word of God in chapter 8, verse 11 of his account. And nothing is said in any of these accounts about the sower's ability or the seed's quality because the Spirit and the Word of God never change. If you're exposed to the Word of God, you have a chance to believe it, to receive it, to obey it, to accept it. It's also 
Uh, not about many other things that we could mention, I'm sure, but this is kind of what Jesus signifies. Not about the weather. It's not about the sower. It's not about the seed. That's the same for all kinds of soil. So we're left with this conclusion. It is all about the soil. The difference in outcomes in human hearts and human lives when exposed to the word of God is entirely due to the condition of the soil. It is entirely due to the condition of your heart. Only you decide how you hear and obey the word of God. So bottom line, at the beginning, your response is your responsibility. Now, we don't have to wonder about the meaning of this parable because Jesus explained it in detail to his disciples when they asked about it. All three of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who record this parable, they include Jesus' explanation concerning the four types of soil, and they emphatically tell us, we're not guessing here, that the soil represents the human heart. So the seed is the word, and the soil is your heart. Last uh, week, we just summarized one more time uh, kind of what he meant when he talked about these types of soil because uh, nobody here, to the best of my knowledge, is a first century Jewish farmer from Israel. So one last time, we'll review the four types of soil before we look at Jesus' explanation. First of all, there's um, hardened soil. Some seeds fell by the wayside, Jesus says, and this refers to the well-worn paths, the footpaths that separated those big rectangular fields. And those pathways, when they dried up, uh, they were as hard as concrete. And so any seed that fell there had absolutely no hope of penetrating the hardened ground. It would just lie there and it would be trampled and crushed or it would be eaten by the birds before it ever had a chance to take root. And then there's shallow soil. Jesus said some fell upon stony places. And we've explained this a couple of times now. That's not a field full of rocks because no self-respecting farmer would leave a field that way. This refers to a rock bed under the field's surface. It's covered by a shallow layer of soil so the roots couldn't ever grow deep enough to retain moisture and sustain crops. So the seed germinates it looks good for a while. In fact, it looks quite lush for a while. But when the hot sun came out, these plants, this crop would wither and die. And then there's strangled soil. Jesus says some seed fell among thorns. And this refers to weed-infested soil. It's full of useless wild vegetation like thorns, and, and they take over that field, and they grow faster than everything else. And so good seed can never mature to a healthy harvest. Weeds suck up all the soil's moisture and nutrients and they block the sunlight and they choke out anything that is good. But thank God there is a fourth type of soil and Jesus calls it fruitful soil. He says other fell into good ground. And this is fertile ground. This is fruitful soil. The seed that lands here can flourish. It is in every sense of the word prepared soil. Somebody worked hard to make sure this soil was ready. So seed landing here produces an abundant crop. A tenfold harvest would be a very healthy return if a farmer gets $10 back for every dollar he spent on seed. But Jesus says that in this parable, some of this ground yielded a 30-fold harvest, a 60-fold harvest, or even a 100-fold harvest, a staggering profit, amazing. Now this, of course, as we've already said, it's not just a story about farming. 
It's literally a diagnosis of the human heart. It's literally a checkup on your heart. And we're not referring at all to the blood pumping organ in the center of your chest. We're referring to the choice making capacity that lies at the very center of your life. This is the heart we sing about and write about and preach about. This is the heart we long and lust and love with. This is the heart that can be happy. It can be hateful. It can be hurt. This is the heart that ultimately decides who we are and what we become and where we go for eternity. Nothing is more important than your heart and its response to the word of God. Your heart, just like the soil of the field, it can be hardened or shallow, it can be strangled, or it can be fruitful. And unfortunately, Jesus' parable reveals that most people, they're dirt poor. Their heart will not sustain spiritual growth because they never allow the word to take root. And in case you think we're kind of making this all up like some kind of crazy allegory, we're not because the disciples asked Jesus what he meant and he told them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he has no root in himself, but he endureth, he endureth for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he's offended, he's shallow. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. This is strangled soil. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word. It's not about a field. It's about you. It's about your heart. And understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, brings forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So last week, we talked about two of these kinds of soil. And we're going to finish up tonight. Last week, we talked about the hardened heart. The hardened soil by the wayside pictures a heart that is filled with unbelief and filled with a love of sin. And so that is an environment, that heart is an environment where truth cannot penetrate. There's too much love of sin. There's too much unbelief. And so it can't penetrate, let alone take root and grow a crop. This hearer of the word is spiritually dry and oblivious. So they are totally susceptible to the strategies of Satan, what Jesus compared to birds picking off the seed. And the Pharisees, they were the hardest hearts of all in Jesus' day. And many times today, those who have their own customized version of Christianity, they pick and choose from the scripture what they like, and they ignore what they don't like. They treat the word of God like a buffet, and so they customize their own version of Christianity. They are some of the hardest hearts today for the word of God to penetrate. You see, Jesus isn't just talking to a bunch of random sinners. He's talking to people about principles of his kingdom. And there is only one cure for a hardened heart. Hosea the prophet said, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, and here it is, break up your fallow ground. 
for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. You've got to make the effort to say, I refuse to live this way anymore. I refuse to ignore the word of God anymore. I refuse to let the seed of God's word just kind of bounce off the hard facade that I've created to keep everybody at bay. I open my heart. I soften my heart. I break up the fallow ground. I welcome the seed of the word of God because God helped me. I need God's word to have an impact in the very center of my being. It's not just about eternity, but eternity is the reason we need an open heart because you can't be saved and go to God's eternal kingdom. You can't live in heaven forever if you don't serve God in your heart and with your heart. But let me tell you, there's an awful lot of side benefits here on this earth. I'm not waiting till I get to heaven to be blessed. I'm already blessed because I've obeyed the word of God. I'm not waiting till I get to heaven to have joy. I've already got joy because the word of God has taken root in my heart. I don't have to wait till heaven to get some peace. I've got the peace that passes understanding because the word of God has been welcomed into my heart. So he talked about the hardened heart. You don't want to have that. And then he talked about the shallow heart. And the shallow soil, that pictures a heart that receives the word with joy. Because after all, they think, Surely serving God is going to solve every one of my problems and it's going to make my life incredibly easy. And sometimes preachers can be the perpetrators of that because all they ever preach is all the fun stuff, all the easy stuff, all the joy-filled stuff that everybody wants to hear. And much of it is true. Maybe even most of it is true. Jesus will make your life better, but it might not be in the way that you hope for. You know, Jesus is going to make your life better by taking away the addiction that you used to love. You thought it was he was going to top up your bank account. So he'll make your life better, all right, and he'll make you ready for eternity. So they're telling you the truth when they say Jesus will make your life better. But if you're expecting to go home and find a new car, a new fridge, a new stove, uh, new kids, it's not going to happen. There's even a crazy book in Christianity. I saw it one time. How to have a new kid by Friday. That's insane. You're not going to have a new kid by Friday. You pray for a few months, you might get a new kid. And by the way, a new kid doesn't mean you trade that one in. People believe crazy stuff. And sometimes preachers are the perpetrators. And so this is the shallow soil. A heart that receives the word with so much joy and happiness. And it looks good because they're thinking, this is the quick fix. This is God going to fix up every one of my problems. And, and so Jesus said, this hearer, they're shallow. There's only a little thin layer of soil. They can't retain enough moisture to sustain a crop. And so they only endure for a little while. Their spiritual life is so superficial and so rootless. These are the people that are easily discouraged when trials and temptation come. But it's even worse than that. They get easily offended whenever the word of God makes any demands on their life. They get easily offended. And so it's not a matter of if their faith will fail. It's just a matter of when their faith will fail. But Jesus does give a cure for the shallow heart. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, 
if you, we did this last week, remember? If you continue in my word. See, you've got to buckle down and say, I'm going to fasten my seatbelt and whatever the word of God demands, I'm in this for the long haul. And whatever trials I have to walk through, I'm in this for the long haul. And whatever temptations I have to overcome and whoever hurts me or offends me, I am not leaving. Jesus, you are stuck with me. Family of God, you're stuck with me. I'm going to make heaven my home and I'm going to make God's family my home on earth. I'm here to continue. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, that's when you're my disciples indeed. And that's when this happens. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Some people, they treat God's word like a drive through window. It's like, well, I tried that last Sunday morning, five minutes and it didn't work. And so I'm done. See ya. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about somebody that wants to serve him so much that come hell or high water, they're here. Like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I'll maintain my integrity before him. And, and, and when he's tried me, whenever all the situations are done and I come through this trial and there's no more pain and suffering and issues and circumstance, when he's tried me, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I shall come forth as gold. I'm not coming out of this bitter. I'm not coming out of this backslidden. I'm hanging in here here because whatever happens in my life, I've made a decision to serve God. That's the cure for a shallow heart. It's just buckling down and doing the hard work, the disciplined work of being a disciple. Now, in a hardened heart, the seed never has a chance to germinate because God's word is completely shut out by unbelief and a love of sin. But a shallow heart, although it has an initial emotional response to the word of God, it essentially ends up in the same place of crop failure because there's no depth of commitment. And the third type of soil also fails to yield a harvest. Jesus calls it the strangled heart. The strangled soil that's overrun with thorns, it pictures a heart that is so busy and so worried and so preoccupied with worldly cares and concerns that the seed of the word of God gradually gets choked out. While the seed may germinate and the crop may grow for a while, ultimately, something else crowds their schedule and something else rises to the top of their priority list and then the word of God and obeying the word of God, and living the word of God, and being committed to the word of God, well, that all becomes secondary. Like the shallow soil, this ground seems to respond well at the beginning. But ultimately, the weeds, they just become too much to handle. And the weeds completely take over. But here's the thing. It happens slowly. And subtly at first. But then one day, you never know when, they just keep allowing things to encroach in their life. And, you know, first it's like, well, I can't do church tonight because of this. And I can't do church this weekend because of this. And I can't obey that commandment because of this. And it, it, it just one little thing after another. And it's slow and subtle at first. But then suddenly the balance shifts without warning. And that's when you see that the thorns are strangling 
everything else in the field. The world is now taking territory. And the word is now losing ground in their life and in their heart. And I've got to say that it's a constant battle. And you might as well get used to it. The world is not going to give you one inch. They are going to fight you for every last thing in this culture and in this generation. They don't want you obeying the word. They don't want you putting the word first. You're going to have to fight to put the word first because the weeds are an ever-present threat. And if you ever get to the place where the balance tips and suddenly your priority list is more important than the world and your schedule is more important than the word and, and other things are more important than the word, the world starts taking over your heart and the word starts losing ground. Matthew's account specifically says that it is, quote, the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that choke the word out and cause that person to become unfruitful. Luke adds, quote, the pleasures of this life. Because let me tell you, not everything that strangles your heart is evil in and of itself. Something doesn't have to be evil, wicked from the center of the pits of hell to choke out the word from your heart. Some things like occupation, education, recreation, obligation, relaxation, they're not bad. They're not evil. They're actually wonderful and necessary as long as they take second place to your spiritual life. That's the key. If they're second place to your spiritual life, you're still okay. But it's when they gradually choke out the word of God and they move to the top of the list. Your family and your friends need your affection. Your boss and your job deserve your attention. Your goals and your dreams require your ambition. But unless you put God first, even those wonderful, necessary things can morph into weeds that pollute the soil of your heart and they choke out God's purpose for your life. And Jesus says this clearly, not just in his parables, but in many places in the Gospels. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And then, see, we don't see this probably in, in our uh, King James Version. Uh, we, we probably don't see the, the impact of it. But these double questions, they're really strong. First he says, what do you profit? What do you gain if you get the whole world but you lose your own soul? And then he pushes harder. What are you going to give? What is it that you're putting at the top of your priority list? What is it that has crowded out the word? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Because brothers and sisters, it's your soul you're playing with. It's your soul you're using as a trading chip or a game card that you're playing with. When you replace spiritual things, your spiritual life, your heart, your relationship with God, when you put something else on top of it, you're playing with your soul. Now, Jesus says riches, and riches refers to money, but it refers to more than money. But seeing as we're on the subject of money, 
Why does the Bible devote twice as many verses to money as it does to faith and prayer combined? About 500 verses on faith, about 500 verses on prayer, 2,350 verses in the scripture devoted to money. Why did Jesus say more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined? Why does our Savior spend 15% of his recorded words talking about money? Why are one out of 10 verses in the Gospels about money? Why did Jesus devote 16 out of his 38 parables to money? Why did Jesus say more about money than any other subject? It's because he knew something about you and me. He knew that money and possessions have the greatest potential to replace the lordship of Jesus in your life. Specifically, fascination with money and possessions. Specifically, addiction to money and possessions. Specifically, the priority of money and possessions in your life. Now, the Bible calls materialism mammon. We just call it materialism, but it's the same thing. Our money, our wealth, our possessions. And here's what Jesus said. No man can serve two masters. Impossible. You cannot serve two masters. For either he will hate one master and love the other, or he'll hold to one master and despise the other. Now here's the punchline that we wouldn't see coming unless we'd known scripture for a couple thousand years of church history. When he said this, it was a shocker. He should have said, you cannot serve God and the devil. After all, God's kingdom, the devil's kingdom, good kingdom, evil kingdom. But that's not what he said. He talked about the battle that you don't see coming. He talked about the battle that can subtly, secretly, slowly creep up on you. And before you know it, this has choked the life out of you. And it's not the devil. It's your schedule. It's your priorities. It's your career. It's your business. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and materialism. And just so you're comfortable, because I didn't come here to take an offering, but if I felt to, I would. Just so we're clear. But I didn't, and I'm not. It is not just your bank balance that Jesus was concerned about. Hear me well. Even poor people can be materialistic. It's your life balance that is most important. And life today isn't really measured in dollars as much as it is measured in priorities. You cannot serve God and serve a list of worldly priorities and put them above Jesus on your life list. More people are sidetracked from serving God by worldliness than by anything else. Let me say it very clearly. Worldliness has the greatest potential to replace God in your life. Worldliness is not just your dress code. Worldliness is your priority list. 
Worldliness is letting the weeds of life choke out the word of God. If you want to know seriously, if you really want to know where the weeds are in your life, all you have to do is look at three things. Look at your checkbook, look at your calendar, and look at your church. Specifically, look at the way you spend your treasure, look at the way you spend your time, and look at the way you give your talent to God's kingdom, not your kingdom, not your boss's kingdom, but to God's kingdom. All you have to do to figure out where the weeds are is look at your checkbook, look at your calendar, and look at your church. Perhaps we're still not specific enough. Perhaps I still haven't made enough people uncomfortable. So let's get a little more specific. Your job, your career, or your business can easily become a weed. Sports, movies, or social media can become a weed. Your education, your gym membership, or your hobbies can become a weed. Family time, free time, and me time can become a weed. Me time. Dear Lord in heaven, this generation tells on itself all the time. Recreation, vacation, relaxation, they can all become a weed. We tend to look for worldliness in negative activities. But the catch is worldliness can be positive activities that simply get out of balance. This is why we have Bible study, because we get to dig deeper with the believers, with the family of God, than we would with people that just walked in the door off the street, and they're not expecting to be hit with the Word of God quite so deeply. But we're not in here for the quick fix. We're here for the long haul, so we love the Word of God, and we want to live it correctly. See, the devil doesn't care where your weeds come from, just as long as your weeds grow faster and bigger and stronger in your life than the Word of God does. That's all he cares about. He doesn't care what weeds are in your heart. It matters not to him. Just as long as you've got more weeds than you've got seed. Just as long as you've got stronger weeds than you've got word. Just as long as you've got bigger, faster growing weeds than you have the leading of the Spirit of God in your heart. That's all he cares about. And it's so deceptive because... Weeds don't strangle the soil all at once. It's a slow and subtle process. The seed may actually germinate and the crop may actually grow for a while, but gradually something else, maybe something good, starts to crowd your schedule and it starts to rise to the top of your priority list. And it's then that the Word of God becomes secondary. And it's then that the weeds start choking out your spiritual life. How do you know if you've got a strangled heart? I think I can probably summarize it here. A strangled heart is full of excuses. That's a strangled heart. Full of excuses. And my goodness, if the COVID-19 almost two-year-long pandemic has taught us anything. It's taught us that people that you thought were solid for God, they can have strangled hearts. They can be filled with all kinds of flimsy excuses. It grieves me to think that some people would lower their commitment level to God, His Word, and His church One missionary, he was quite frustrated. He was talking with me uh, just a couple of weeks ago. He said, 
I can't believe this. He said, last year, we had people saying, I'll die for Jesus. We can't even get them to come to church for Jesus. Do I need to say that again? I'll give my life for Jesus. You won't even give an hour and a half on a Sunday to Jesus. Oh, pastor, you better come rescue me. I watch online. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> a strangled heart is a heart filled with excuses. And here's what they say. Stuff like this. It's just temporary. I'm coming back. It's just temporary. If I just give time to this now, I'll have more time to give to God later. Ever heard that one? It's a lie. I worked hard and I deserve this. If I make money now, I'll have more money to give to God later. A lie. I can't live without this relationship. I deserve this relationship. Or this one. I'm as committed as any, anybody else. You're looking at the wrong thing. Look at the word and look at your savior. Don't look at everybody else. Take a rough average and then say I'm coming in somewhere close. No, give your guts, give your life, give your all to Jesus. People even say this. I just need to take a break. A break from what? The Savior who saved your soul? The church that he shed his blood for? What are you taking a break from? Strangled hearts. And they never come back. Because the weeds always win. Paul wrote to Timothy, They that will be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. See, you're looking for lust in a sexual sense, and you look down your nose at somebody that's addicted and ensnared and in lust, and it makes them live a life of immorality. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He said people that have a desire to acquire and it gets out of control. People that give themselves to their career and their job and their boss and their fun and, 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 and their relationships and it just gets out of control and, and it becomes a weed. He said it drowns them. It chokes them in destruction and perdition. He's not talking about sex, sensuality, perversion. He's not talking about that. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, I'm just taking a break, Pastor. I just need to work really hard right now. And you watch me. I'm going to be able to do so much for God. I'm going to be able to give so much to the church. You just watch me. I'm just taking a little break right now. It's just temporary, Pastor. While some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We have the conversations. My kids aren't interested in church. My grandkids, 
walked out the door, said they're never coming back to church. They've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What a difference it could have made if they had lived committed to God. Yes, anybody's kids can cause them heartache. Anybody's grandchildren or family can cause them great pain. But the odds are, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's not worth it to put worldly things above Jesus on your priority list. Never, 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 never. The soil looks good on the surface, but there are all kinds of impurities in it. Weeds have already begun to germinate, and they don't even realize it. And weeds will always grow stronger and faster than the good seed. The priorities of the word of God, they're totally foreign to this kind of heart. Weeds and thorns own this ground. Eternal truth is crowded out by earthly attractions and ambitions and addictions. They are so excited to embrace worldly things that they lose their passion for God. If you've heard anything I say tonight, you hear this. You can't welcome weeds and grow good seed at the same time. James said it this way, you're either a friend of the world or a friend of God. But there is a cure. There's only one cure for a strangled heart. You have to stop watering the weeds and start prioritizing the seed. And how do you do that, Pastor Raymond? You do that by changing the focus of your investment. You do that by changing the focus of your treasure and your talent and your time. And no less than Jesus said this, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Because it's a short-term foolish investment where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. You think you got it perfect. You think you've saved it up and something can happen in the stock market. Something can happen in your health situation. Something can happen in your family and it turns all your careful planning and all your prioritizing, it turns it upside down in a heartbeat. That's worldly treasure. That's worldly wealth. That's worldly priority. But instead of that, you can't do both. Instead of that, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not, I would say, also cannot break through nor steal. That's what Jesus said. He's not saying don't have a nice home or a nice car. He's not saying don't be diligent at your job. Of course he's not saying that. We've got the whole New Testament to tell us to be the most diligent uh, workers that our bosses and employers have ever seen. We've got the whole New Testament to tell us to be wise and provide for our families. We've got all kinds of scripture for that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the order of the priority list that rules your heart. And when any of those good things get above Jesus and his word and his church, what happens is they turn into weeds and subtly and slowly, then suddenly and quickly, the word is choked out and the weeds win the day. 
And here's specifically what Jesus says. Here's what you get when you invest in the world. Here's what you get when you invest in heaven. And now you get to pick. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jeremiah told us, you can't know your heart. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can't know what's in your heart. You can't really control your heart. You can't really set the affections of your heart except if you set where your treasure goes. Because where your treasure goes, your heart follows. That's why some of you are sitting here tonight and you've already checked your phone 15 times during this Bible lesson because you're concerned about how many likes your post got on Facebook. And some of you, you've checked your... Imagine, imagine what technology. You've already checked your bank balance since you got in church tonight. You've already checked your email. Some of you have read your email. Some of you have responded to your email during church tonight. It's all about priorities. You can't control your heart, but you can direct your heart. And if you put your treasure in the kingdom of God, your heart follows where you put your treasure. If you put your treasure in eternal things, your heart follows your treasure. Are you talking about money, pastor? Yes, and not at all. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your energy. I'm talking about your focus. I'm talking about what you give your passion to. That's what I'm talking about. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now thankfully the farmer's efforts were not completely wasted because there was a fourth type of soil in this field. All three of the gospel writers who record this parable call the fourth type of soil good ground. Matthew says it is the heart that quote heareth the word and understandeth it which also beareth fruit and bringeth Forth. Mark says it represents, quote, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit. Luke says it pictures, quote, they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Two of the three writers speak of a 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold increase. Luke only emphasizes an 100-fold harvest. This is very fruitful soil. This is very fertile soil. It is the fruitful heart. The good soil of a fruitful heart, it never just happens by accident. This ground is tirelessly tended. This ground is carefully cultivated. This ground is painstakingly prepared. The seed has no obstacles to prevent it from germinating and growing. And so the harvest in this heart is unhindered. This heart doesn't just hear the word. They do something about it. Matthew says they hear and understand. Mark says they hear and receive. Luke says they hear and keep. And the apostle James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, he says they are hearers 
and doers of the word. He ex exhorts us and admonishes us, be ye doers of the word and not just hearers only because if you do just that, you have deceived your own self. Brothers and sisters, the only evidence of the word at work in your heart is the fruit that shows in your life. The only evidence that the word is at work in your heart is when somebody can look at your life and see the fruit of that relationship with God. The New Testament declares, you shall know them by their fruits. And it admonishes us, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. Jesus said those who abided in him would bring forth much fruit. And he said, God is glorified when we bring forth much fruit. The epistles speak of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruits of righteousness, fruit unto holiness, and the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Believers are admonished to let their new life bring forth fruit unto God and to be fruitful in every good work. Paul emphatically declared that the souls he reached were the fruit of his labor. Before you get saved, it's all about faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So before you get saved, it's all about faith. But after you get saved, it's all about fruit. James said, faith without works is dead faith. Soil without a harvest, it's useless soil. And a life without kingdom fruit indicates a hardened, shallow, or strangled heart just below the surface. No generation in the history of Christianity has had so much sowing with so little reaping. We can jump in a car or get on a plane and attend a Pentecostal convention or an apostolic conference. We can listen to preaching from anywhere and everywhere 24 hours a day on our computers and smartphones. Over 80,000 subscribers have watched over 12 million sermons on our own church YouTube channel. Because of the internet, the sun never sets on Capital Community Church or in the voice of your pastors who preach the gospel and teach the saints. What a privilege we have. What a day we live in. We are abundantly blessed by the constant sowing of the seed. But all too often we still see so-called Christians whose personal lives and daily priorities remain Largely unaffected. Why is that? Well, it's not about the weather. The weather was the same for every kind of soil in the farmer's field. I say it again, somebody in worse circumstances than you has obeyed and lived and loved the scriptures because their heart was open to it. It's not about the weather of the circumstances of your life. It's not about the sower. The Holy Spirit is so faithful to sow the word in our hearts through the preaching and the teaching and the witnessing of his anointed vessels. He uses many different types of ministries, even in this single local church. But ultimately, there's only one sower. I said it earlier in this series. 
I can get with the preacher, whoever the preacher is. I don't have to have somebody wow me with some great exposition or some new novel truth for me to get excited about the word. I'm still excited that I got to obey the plan of salvation. I'm still thrilled about John 3.16 and Acts 2.38. I'm still thrilled about all of the word of God. You can preach it to me once a week. That would be great with me. It's not about the weather. It's not about the sower. It's not about the seed. Luke tells us the seed is this word of God. Nothing is said in Jesus' parables in any of the three accounts about the sower's ability or the seed's quality. The spirit and the word of God never change. And they are so faithful. So brothers and sisters, we end our series where we began it. It's all about the soil. It's all about your heart. The difference in outcomes is entirely due to the condition of the soil. Only you decide how you hear and obey the word of God. Your response is your responsibility. Come on back to the music. Jesus talks about a harvest that is 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. Now notice that. Not all Christians are equally fruitful. Don't beat yourself up because you think God used somebody else in a different or greater way. Not all Christians are equally fruitful. But here's the thing. All believers are expected to produce an abundance of spiritual fruit in their lives. Tenfold would have been amazing. Jesus is talking about 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So your harvest in your life should be plenteous and obvious. It shouldn't be produced so infrequently or so indefinitely that the world can't even tell the difference between you and them. Only you can decide whether the word or the world will rule your heart. The good soil of a fruitful heart doesn't just happen by accident. This ground. This ground. Must be tirelessly tended, carefully cultivated, and painstakingly prepared. There's a haunting footnote in the histories of the kings of Israel. David, they still sing about him. They still talk about him. A man after God's own heart. Not a perfect man, but a man after God's own heart. He led Israel after the debacle that was King Saul. And they loved David. And then his son Solomon took the throne. And Solomon also reigned for 40 years, just like David and Saul before him. And Israel had never been so wealthy or so influential. Solomon rebuilt the nation. It was beautiful. Solomon had some shallowness in him. And so he raised a son named Rehoboam. And God even told Solomon, I won't take the kingdom from you in your lifetime. But it's not because of you, Solomon. It's because of your dedicated dad. And because David was a man after my heart. I won't take the kingdom from David's boy. 
I'll let you have it, Solomon, all your life. But when you die, I will take the kingdom from your dynasty in your son's lifetime. And so Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he rose to the throne. And the Bible puts this footnote about Rehoboam in the Chronicles of the Kings. And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. That's why they lost it. And they headed into the period of the divided kingdom and both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom ended up in harsh captivity with the nation destroyed and the temple shattered and Jerusalem in ruins. Because a king would not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And that, brothers and sisters, is only the Old Testament. We don't have a city we look to or a temple we look to. We're not nationalistic about serving God. This is for every tribe and nation and kindred and tongue. We have a better kingdom. We have a heavenly kingdom. We have a heavenly high priest. And, and if they needed to prepare their hearts to seek the Lord in the Old Testament, how much more should we want to prepare our hearts to seek the Lord and serve the Lord, to worship the Lord, and to live for the Lord in the New Testament? I don't want a footnote written over my life. He wasted his time because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. His life amounted to little for eternity because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Whew. But when the seed has no obstacles to prevent it from germinating and growing, then the harvest of your life is unhindered. God orders your steps in his word. And the blessing of heaven rests upon you. So brothers and sisters, keep your heart open to the word of God. Don't make God force himself in with a crowbar. Keep your heart open and tender and ready and prepared for the word of God. James said, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Get rid of the weeds. Get rid of the hardened ground. Break it up. Break up that fallow ground. Get rid of the shallowness. Continue in the word of God. Lay the weeds aside and receive with meekness the engrafted word. That word that goes down deep and grows up huge. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. Why? Because it's the only thing that's able to save your souls. I don't know about you. I can't speak for you. But I sure don't want to be dirt poor. I want the soil of my heart to be rich and fertile for the kingdom of God. And for the word to take root and bear fruit. Would you lift up your hands right now in the sacred beautiful presence of God and I know it's a little bit of a somber ending to this Bible study I get that and I know God's calling for commitment and he's moving through conviction so that's a little awkward emotionally 
I'm asking this great church to push past all that and just begin with a, a, a moment of worship and appreciation to the Lord for the fact that we actually have his word. Human beings like us, we get to be exposed to the word of God. Can you imagine the privilege? I need to hear your voices. Jesus wants to hear your voices. Lift them up in his presence. waiting on you CCC because I know you and I love you and I know what you're about when you start to pray. Pray right now. Somebody right now in this room, you can pray in the spirit. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Search my heart 